This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight, it's a great honor for me to have as our guest, Professor Bradley J. Steiner. Brad is one of the greatest muscle writers of all time and is a world-renowned expert in two separate fields, strength training and the martial arts, especially self-defense and close combat. He has written over 30 published books in these areas of study. I have read several of Brad's strength training books in my early years of training, and I credit his great writings in Strength and Health, Muscular Development, and Iron Man as giving me a great foundation in my own training. Brad was probably the first to emphasize the importance of strength training for self-defense in the martial arts. Traditionally, the martial arts discourage weight training, and many still do. Brad went against the grain and was a leader and pioneer in teaching the benefits of strength training to self-defense and the martial arts. Brad is a 10th degree black belt and founder and grandmaster of American Combato. Professor Steiner is president and CEO of the International Combat Martial Arts Federation, an elite and prestigious organization of internationally recognized close combat, self-defense, and martial arts authorities. Brad has a great home study DVD course, too, and a great monthly newsletter called Sword and Pen. For more information, please visit Brad's two websites, AmericanCombato.com, that's AmericanCombato.com, and Seattle Combatives. C-O-M-B-A-T-I-V-E-S dot com. And Brad, welcome to Natural Strength Night. Great to be on the show. Looking forward to our conversation. How did you get started in weight training, and who were some of your earliest influences? Well, 
I actually got interested in, in weight training when I was in uh, junior high school. I was a student for uh, quite a number of years of martial arts. I had been interested in that and participate in that prior to any involvement with weight training per se. One of the reasons I became interested in weight training was because I was incredibly weak. When I was in junior high school, I literally couldn't do one push-up or one chin, and that's weak. Yet, I was practicing uh, jiu-jitsu and judo at the time. I had not yet gone into karate. And uh, I found that I was able to do techniques. I was always in an adult class because I refused to go into any kind of children's class. But I, I realized that a lot of the adults were simply cooperating with me in doing techniques. And uh, I wanted to have enough strength to make this stuff work. So I gravitated to weight training. And finally, in high school at age 16, I got started with it. I started by ordering something that I doubt that too many people would be familiar with today, uh, York's Big 12 Special, which um, I had all I could drag it into the house. Yeah, it was a terrific training set, and I gradually added a bench and squat racks from York to it. And I I worked out very, very regularly and consistently. And um, as a matter of fact, I, I trained literally every other day for three solid years, for four, pardon me, four solid years without missing a workout. I trained even when I didn't feel good, which was a little fanatical, but it got results. And uh, the results were, were absolutely persuasive. In fact, I knew after the first month of exercising that I was never going to stop this. It, it, I felt results immediately, and to this day, I have been in love with weight training as well as with the martial arts. Uh, I was primarily interested in building the strength and confidence and physical wherewithal to be able to apply skills that I was very interested in learning. And so I applied myself seriously to the weights. I began to get larger and much stronger and was very pleased with it and just continued to, to work at it. I count myself very lucky to have started with the York approach. As you well know, at the time there was uh, the big competitor who has since passed away, Joe Weider. I don't want to say anything unkind about the man, but I have to point out that I was in complete disagreement with him and did not really respect his way of doing things after I became familiar with weight training and had started to become familiar with the various magazines on the field. Uh, my real inspirations were, were not necessarily the bodybuilders, but um, people like, um, uh, well, not that he was primarily a bodybuilder, but let's take John Grimmick, an all-around athlete, a man who had physical excellence in many ways other than in the ability to pose and to win contests. Um, I was uh, Harry B. Pashal when I became aware of uh, Iron Man, and um, his work became one of my heroes. I thought he was marvelous. He was honest. He presented uh, his instruction and information in a very uh, intriguing way. He was entertaining, and he was uh, always a good guide. And Perry Rader, uh, 
generally published wonderful material in Iron Man. Um, so these were people, people who were involved in York, not necessarily their top people, but people who trained with those methods, people who trained with um, with uh, Raiders' methods. And uh, I, I respected and admired these people. Uh, also, George F. Jowett, who was a wrestler and uh, uh, all-around uh, strongman. I did meet Sig Klein in New York City. He had a gym uh, in Midtown Manhattan. He's a very, very fine man. He he did a lot of valuable training of people. He he taught the right way. He did things the right way. Uh, Tom Minicello, the Mid-City Health mm-hmm. Club. And, yep. uh, of course, Bruno San Martino used to train there, and there was a man like, he was as strong as an elephant, and of, as as nice as he was strong. And um, so it, was, you know it was a Boff? good experience. I'm sorry? No, I never met Vic Buff, but I know who he is, and I know who uh, his his relationship to the uh, physical culture game, but I never had the pleasure of meeting him. Did your parents support your uh, strength training? Um, my my dad had died when I was a little kid. I was about five years old or four years old when he passed away, and I lived with my mother until I uh, until I graduated high school, moved out, and she was she wasn't non-supportive of what I did, but there was no real encouragement from anybody in my life. Other male relatives who I had were more like the before pictures that they used to publish, and these people <laughs> these people didn't have any interest in physical training. They literally ridiculed me and made fun of my interest, made fun of what I was doing, which really didn't affect me. I just kept doing it because I wanted to. And then there were the occasional idiots, my own contemporaries, who uh, just couldn't understand why I had to work out so regularly. And when I wasn't working out, I had to practice martial arts. And their lack of understanding, I guess, is still with them because I never made any efforts to enlighten them. So I really just was on my own and gathered such inspiration as I could get from the writings of other people like Harry B. Paschal or Bob Hoffman, John Grimmick, and, and this, these people. Yeah, you, you were truly a pioneer in the martial arts as far as uh, you know training with weights because I'm sure you probably met resistance every step of the way, right? Every step of the way. I was I was literally laughed at by a lot of people. And I, I ended up actually writing the first article on weight training for the martial arts in this country, weight training for the Budoka, which appeared in Strength and Health magazine very early on. And they actually they misspelled. They had Bradley K. Steiner as the byline. It was Bradley J. And I I contacted John Grimmick about that, or or I I think I contacted somebody who was in the editorial department and they said oh sorry which is that's all right but uh, uh yeah i became absolutely sold on on weight training and i think it was because i was so concerned about self-defense which is much less a matter of acquiring tremendous dexterity and skill because you were dealing with somebody else who was doing the same thing you were doing. And I was interested in self-defense and hand-to-hand combat, where you're dealing with uh, perhaps two attackers or one man who greatly outweighs you. There are no weight classes and a mugging. And I naturally appreciated and understood that strength was a factor. And no matter what any instructors would tell me, even though I was much their junior, 
I, I just knew what the facts were, and I, I kept pursuing it. You're absolutely right. You're one of the first people, if not the first, that said that in the martial arts. What made you leave New York, move to Phoenix? A number of things. Uh, I was the self-defense editor for a magazine that was published at the time called Vigilante. The combination of wanting to pursue more work with them and wanting to get out of New York City because the gun laws had become impossible, the crime situation had become impossible, and uh, I was at the time, I was, we were married uh, in 1975, and, and that's when we moved. I, I didn't like the idea of my wife being there. So we moved to Phoenix, which I disliked as, as, the, as the trailways bus was taking us into the city. I felt a dislike of the place. And I have, I have to be fair about this, though. There are people who like Phoenix, and, and this is just my personal reaction to the city. Arizona and I did not get along. My dear friend and the student I ever had in my life, my top student, Mark Bryans, uh, is still in Arizona. He's in Prescott. Um, he is getting along fine there. I've met people who like it. It just wasn't my cup of tea. So I was there five and a half years, had some good experiences, but not too many, and moved then to Seattle. <laughs> was it mainly the heat that you didn't like? Oh, the heat was a pleasure compared to other factors. I, you know, if I go into it, I'm going to offend some people, and I don't want to oh, do that. Okay. I, have we'll world, that. <laughs> I have a world of respect for you, for your forum. It's one of the very few on earth that's civilized and professional. And, uh, I, you know, I feel honored to be on this, uh, on this, at this event now with you. So I, I don't want to say anything except that it just didn't suit me. And I, I don't particularly like the heat either, but the heat was the least of it. I'm the same way. I, I like colder weather better, believe it or not, even though now I'm in Florida, but I'm just here temporary, I think. Please tell us about your core strength training philosophy. What, what are your strongest beliefs in strength training? I, I would say they parallel the beliefs of people who are today referred to as the old-time strongmen. Or, uh, just basic and simple, heavy exercises, not done to excess, but worked very strictly and hard and regularly, using the element of progression, which of course is necessary no matter what your goals are in weight training, and following that, training uh, on the basic exercises, which are critical. I don't think they've ever been replaced. I don't think they ever need to be replaced. And I think that training on lesser exercises, except possibly for people who are competitive bodybuilders is a waste of time. I think the, the exercises, the basic press movements, the curling movements, the squat, the bench press, the rowing actions, the deadlifting movements, these are the movements that build up the body, that build the major muscle groups and produce great strength. One thing, unfortunately, that a lot of people don't understand and they're misled into continuing never to find out, is that not everybody can become world-class or, or develop tremendous strength. You can develop much more strength than you have, but lacking the genetics to do so, you're not going to become a world-class lifter or a, a 
famous bodybuilder, anything like that. Uh, so you, my, my attitude is you should train correctly, following a good diet, good attitude, getting plenty of rest, and let the cards fall where they may as far as your ultimate objective will be. You'll get to whatever your genetic potential will allow. And that's really all you should care about. Some people were born with a great deal of, of um, natural propensity for power. Some people were born with very well-balanced, uh, a very well-balanced physical structure. And some people were not. I, I never got to be very strong or, or exceptionally well-built, but I love weight training today uh, more than I loved it when I was 16. It, I still do it regularly, three times a week, and uh, it gives me what I want and need. And I would suggest that that's a healthy way for anyone coming into weight training or who's been in it a while to see the activity. It's a lifetime pursuit. You'll rise to whatever level your genetic potential permits if you train properly and be satisfied with that and keep training. If somebody wanted to get a, an example of a good whole body routine, what exercises would you tell them to do? I'd, I like to have one warm-up exercise, and that could be floor-to-overhead pull-ups, dumbbell swings, clean and press, done with a light weight, but one good set that gets your body activated. And then I would, uh, well, the exercises that comprise a basic routine, a basic curling movement. This could be done with dumbbells simultaneously, alternately, standing or seated. Barbell curl. I wouldn't take two exercises from that group. I'd just take one, work on it, find the one that fits you the best and stay with that. Or if they all suit you, stay with those and follow that philosophy with the other basic exercises you choose. And the other ones would be the press dumbbells or barbell, seated or standing. Um, I prefer standing. I think it affects the lower back much more effectively. Um, the squat, naturally. The bench press. The rowing action with dumbbells, barbell. Mm -hmm. Deadlifting. I would also include calf work because I think it's very good for the feet and, of course, for the calves. Um, abdominal exercise basic leg raises, um, hanging leg raises, sit-ups, sit-ups with weights, twisting sit-ups, work on a Roman chair, uh, just very simple, basic exercises, and be careful not to overdo them. Uh, beginners should start with one set and work it very hard, and then they should progress to two sets. Now, I don't really think that for general all-round training, it's ever necessary to exceed three sets. Uh, now, th there may be some people who disagree with that because they've found that four sets suits them better. And I, I don't want to get into uh, a doctrinaire approach. You, as you train and as you develop over the months, certainly after a year or two of regular training, you're going to know what you do best with those basic exercises. And at that point, you'll write your own ticket. But those would be the exercises that I would advocate. There could be, um, you could include chinning, which is also a very good exercise, but not everybody has access to a chinning bar. And um, so I just try to give you the exercises that anyone can do in their bedroom 
with a set of weights. What about uh, good morning exercises, if they're done carefully and light? Um, good morning exercise, I think a lot of that depends on the physical structure of the person. Um, I don't personally like it, but I've known people who do. You can experiment with it. And I think as you develop on the few basic exercises, you might want to experiment with the good morning. I wouldn't use it in the beginning, though. I'd want to see the erector spinae muscles develop to a high degree, and then you can kind of touch and go with that, see how you react with a moderate or light weight. And if it's good for you, say, go with it if it's good for you. What do you think about the behind-the-neck press? That used to be my absolute favorite all-around shoulder exercise. That would be one that I'd include in, in the basics, a basic press movement. Uh, recently, I've been... I've switched to the standard press, and I like to work on that. Um, uh, pressing with dumbbells, one-arm dumbbell press, alternate dumbbell press. These are all good basic press movements. The, um, uh, from what I know, the, uh, the three heads of the shoulder assembly don't know what they're pressing. They just know if they're pressing. And so long as you're pushing a heavy weight strictly overhead and keeping control of that bar, you're working your shoulders very well. When I was younger, the behind-the-neck press was one of my staples. But as I've got older, I still do it, but you got to be very careful with it. A lot of people somehow injure their shoulders doing it, but I think it's because they grip the bar wrong because, you know, with behind-the-neck press, you got to take a wide enough grip. And I think some people who get hurt I think that's the main problem is they're not putting their hands out wide enough, so they're not get, giving enough room for the bar to get behind their head and they strain their shoulders. But that's the one tip I could give people. If you do behind-the-neck press, make sure you're taking a, a wider grip than the regular military press. Well, that's very but, sensible uh, advice. It could also right. be, in my own case, age. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> might, that might be the reason because I'm pushing 70 and uh, – of course, although I, I train, but I just find that the standard press just feels better and suits me better now. But definitely the press behind the neck is an outstanding exercise. I would say this for any exercise, though. If, when doing it correctly, you find that it causes real pain or you can't do it, you just struggle, find a substitute because there's always a way around a problem with basic weight training. And you shouldn't, although you've heard, let's say, that bodybuilder A or weightlifter B or athlete C uses such and such, it may be perfect for him. But right. if you don't find it to be so, you have to find what suits you. We're all very different. And uh, ultimately, that's one of the goals of training, to find your ideal routine, your ideal approach. Yeah, I totally agree. The older you get, you got to find ways to continue training, you know, because when people get injured or they have certain problems physically, that is one of the keys to it is to find ways to train rather than make excuses not to train. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, well, for me, it's, I, I've never really looked for excuses. I, I like the way it feels. I, I appreciate what it gives me. And... Um, I just, uh, I don't know how people can live without it, frankly. You love training, and I love training, too. 
that's one of the keys to continuing with it is, you know, if you love it. And that's, that's one of the first things I try to do with my clients when they first come here. I try to make them have joy when they train, you know, and I try to tell them, you know, you're, you should be thankful that you're here and just be happy to train and try to make it fun for them, you know. And uh, oh, they're absolutely. much more, sure. even though it's hard work. I mean, j- just like a marathon runner, you know, they run a marathon and they're exhausted, but they still love it. Uh, you know, it just gives them that great feeling. And that, that, that's what I try to get my clients to feel like. I mean, even though it's hard work, you still love it. it, just, it the benefits of it, it just makes you feel so great. And, and so. the reward is very quick in coming because you may not achieve your ultimate objective quickly, but the conclusion of every workout leaves you feeling great. So, so it's, exactly very, right. it, it, it's very good for you. It, it's a rewarding part of the day when you train. You get rid of tensions. You forget about the imbeciles you were with at the office or, or some <laughs> stupid neighbor or something like that. You, you, you just escape into a very physically and mentally beneficial session. And at the end of it, you generally feel better mentally and physically in every way. Now, Brad, I know that you're strongly against the use of steroids, as am I. What advice would you give a young trainee who is tempted to use drugs? Lock himself in a closet until the feeling passes. It's an absolute <laughs> stupid, suicidal, imbecilic step to take. And in order to discover the truth of that, all you need to do is study the history of what's been going on in bodybuilding. If there was, aside from the size is everything idea, which is silly but not completely destructive, the steroid thing has ruined bodybuilding in America and Europe. It is, it, there's nothing, it, it, you're better off not training at all because as soon as you start ingesting steroids, you're playing with fire. That's not like a food supplement. Your body doesn't assimilate it and then excrete what is excessive. When you take steroids, you're messing around with the cellular structure of the body. It's dumb. There are deaths reported all the time of quote-unquote bodybuilders and, and people who have, have used this garbage, and you shouldn't use it. And if you find a physician who will recommend uh, or give you a prescription for a, quote, safe amount, unquote, don't listen to that physician and don't go to him even if you have a mild headache. That stuff is poison. Don't use steroids. It shouldn't be used under any conditions except for medical necessities. For example, during the Vietnam War, the wounds that were sustained by many soldiers in combat literally just tore their bodies up. And the steroids were used to help rebuild tissue to save their lives. That's different. As far right. as the use of steroids is concerned by any athletes, anyone at all involved in physical training, it is stupid, it's wrong, it's unhealthy and dangerous. Stay away from it, period. No matter what you hear from any imbecile who's pretending to be an expert, from anyone in any gym, from any writer who, who pontificates about that garbage, do not use steroids. It is stupid. Follow a good diet, keep a healthy, positive attitude, work out hard, get enough rest, and then find something else to do. And you're right. There's so many writers on the Internet and, and even articles in, in certain magazines 
that claim there's a safe way to take steroids, and they, you know, they you they, know, the, they make idiotic. themselves well known that's like by saying this. That's a safe way. That's like saying there's a safe way to play Russian roulette. No, no, don't use <laughs> a don't use a five shot Smith and Wesson revolver where there's a greater chance that that one round will fire. Take a nine shot Smith and Wesson 22 rimfire revolver. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his 
website, webstrengthcoach.com. He will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs, a program right for you. Bob will give you feedback after every workout. This is old school fitness and nutrition, no fads and no gimmicks. Bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied. So visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let Bob help you reach your best self. Webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I R O N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on Mindforce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30 or 60 second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on mindforceradio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mind Force Radio. There is no safe way to use steroids. In fact, because there is no way to predict 100% about how it will affect the body, even when it is used for legitimate medical reasons, there can be a risk. Of course, when it is used for legitimate medical reasons, it's better to use it than to just let the patient die. But this is... There's no safe way to use steroids. You, you're just deceiving yourself. You're just deceiving yourself. And as far as this, this nonsense about 
you know, you go to a doctor. Go to a, if a doctor recommends it, it's okay. Look, we've got medical doctors doing sex change operations. That is loony, but they've got an MD after their name, so it must be good. So why don't you try another gender tomorrow? Oh, come on. And right. Stay away. Steroids is bad. Stay away from it. There's crooked doctors like there's crooked any other profession. And there's incompetent so, doctors. Right. There are incompetent it's, doctors that's, to that's believe right. that you should be using steroid drugs to build your health is insanity. That's like telling people eat dirt for good nutrition. Yeah, safe steroid use is like safe heroin use. It's insanity. It's insanity. Yep. And you know what? You talk about heroin. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, and I, I, I'm speaking from what I've read about this. I've read of people who have been on heroin, getting off, cleaning up their lives, and just living normal lives. I'm not aware that their lifespan was shortened or that they got a dread disease later on as a result of using heroin. But that is not true of steroids. You can take steroids when you're 20 and not feel the negative or detrimental effects until you're 30. Don't That's right. use steroids. The competent physical trainer will tell you that. Stay away from it. That's great advice, Brad. Tell us why you strongly recommend strength training for people who are involved in self-defense. Well, because, number one, the, the quick answer is because you need strength when you're involved in physical combat. It also increases the body's resistance to injury, and it increases your, it raises your threshold of pain. It gives you more confidence when you know you're strong, and it increases the power and destructiveness of what you do. And, of course, when I say the destructiveness, you have to bear in mind I'm speaking from the standpoint of self-defense, not of competition or sport. Uh, it gives you a very, very certain way to safely build yourself to your maximum level of physical condition and power. And, of course, that adds materially to, um, to your ability to defend yourself. It was Bob Hoffman who wrote many years ago, Weight training will improve any man at his sport. Well, a sport is a physical activity, so anybody engaged in any physical activity will improve his ability to do it, as well as the attributes required in, so far as self-defense is concerned, the resistance to, to injury, a higher threshold of pain, self-confidence. These are all critical things for somebody, and in my personal opinion, weight training and serious self-defense and close combat are integral. You don't separate them. Why do you think so many of the different martial arts, especially the Asian ones, they, they seem to have a, a negative view or they're just behind the times on strength training? Well, it's largely the Caucasian idiots that, that adopt the uh, martial arts that really have that. It's not really true. They may not use weights per se, or, or didn't use it in, in times before the barbell was invented in the martial arts, but they did use strength training. In the Korean martial arts, for example, there was a practice called charuki, which involved mm -hmm. lifting and throwing heavy rocks and boulders and trying to pull trees out of the, the ground, and this is weight training. And um, right. there are uh, other exercises that were done that were uh, similarly progressive resistance a bodybuilding type movements, like digging a hole, getting in and jumping out, 
digging it deeper, jumping out, digging it deeper. And these, these forms of exercise and training were integral to the older Chinese-Korean martial arts. So, and later on, for example, the judo people, the Kodokan Judo Institute has weight training rooms where people who train in judo can practice weight training. So it's more the, the, the morons in the United States, Canada, and Europe who like to believe there's some sort of fantastic and mystical way that you can stop somebody from beating your head to a pulp and you don't need to have any strength to do it. But you do need strength. It's not necessarily going to be the decisive factor, but it's a factor. And it's a factor that to an extent you can control. If you lift weights properly and train properly, you'll develop a great deal of strength, and that's a very valuable asset. If there are some people who are interested in self-defense, but they don't live near Seattle or they don't live near Phoenix, is there something else you would recommend they can always order the DVD course that, that I have available. That was designed for people exactly in the situation you're talking about. Aside from that, uh, if anybody wants to contact me and ask, we may have an associate teacher. They don't teach my system, but there are a lot of good teachers teaching other good systems. Um, the, uh, so they can contact me for a reference. I may not be able to give one because I don't have that many associate teachers, but I will give it if it's available. Uh, on the other hand, they can study what I teach through the DVD program. It was designed specifically for people who are training on their own. Everything is done very carefully and slowly and clearly and described well. So even without a teacher, it's like seeing the live demonstration carefully done, and they can learn from that. If they are looking for a good school in general, they should look for somebody who emphasizes a very high degree of mental conditioning for combat, very destructive hand, arm, head, knee, and foot blows, not sparring. Sparring is a game, and you don't want to square off with somebody in the street. You want to attack him and neutralize him. You want somebody who teaches you to follow up and not depend upon a one-shot stop. You want somebody who emphasizes that you should stay on your feet. It's a complete myth that all attacks go to the ground. That's just not true. And this is, uh, been, I mean, the grappling, ground fighting thing is fine if you enjoy it, but it's a sport. And you want somebody who will teach you emphasis on offense, not in the sense of starting fights, but on dealing with a physical threat by extreme aggression and taking the initiative, going after the guy or the multiple assailants or whatever. And also, in addition to the emphasis on attacking the attacker, an emphasis on suitably applicable counterattacking movements in case you're taken by surprise. And de-emphasize holds and locks and control grips. You know, unless you're a police officer, you're wasting your time trying to apply that. And besides, it's very risky. Personally, I don't want to play with somebody who wants to beat my head in. I want to stop him. You don't want to get into arrest and control moves. Your, your responsibility under the law is don't look for trouble, don't start trouble, don't agree to it, don't agree to fight, 
but just defend yourself. You have no obligation to make arrests. Uh, you want to make sure that the the instructor is emphasizing the truth, that there's risk involved, that you're going to get hurt when you defend yourself more often than not. And, again, that you should use weight training, that you, you need to build yourself up. There's no magic. There are no secrets. There's no mystery involved. It's very direct, I guess, next to lovemaking, uh, Fighting is is as old as man, you know. It's it just goes back a long time, and uh, it it has developed methodologies over the millennia. But still, it's fighting, it's violence, it's danger. Uh, and of course, the instructor who is worth anything should teach you to avoid fighting, to stay away from it, to do everything you can to avoid it. And he should go into methods of interactive behavior so that you deal with a potential threat effectively, uh, principles of personal security when you're out and about, when you travel, when you drive, when you're at home, and so on. The, uh, the mental conditioning, in my personal opinion, is 90% of what is required to successfully defend yourself. And, and I arrived at that conclusion very simply by looking at reality. In reality, there have been many, many people who have successfully defended themselves who had absolutely no training in or knowledge of self-defense techniques of any kind. Yet it was their attitude that saw them through. So I simply concluded that the attitude is the most important thing. But I don't know of any legitimate instructor who would not agree hands down that at least 50% of effectiveness and preparedness for close combat and self-defense is mental, not physical. And I'm a licensed hypnotherapist. I have been for almost 30 years. And I use the principles of hypnosis when I teach. That's easy to understand if you were in one of the classes, and I'm not going to go into an explanation of how that works, but it's a very effective way of conducting group classes, which I've been using for decades now. Uh, what is required is that a person achieve a level of capability of going to extreme aggression at the drop of a hat. Because in order to deal effectively with violence, you need overwhelming violence. And therefore, that particular mental attribute, instantaneous response with extreme aggression, is critical. And this is, this is taught in, in my classes, in private lessons, and I also have a series of self-hypnosis tapes that people can, can use at home and that covers all the areas of mental conditioning for combat, um, you have to have a willingness, and a lot of people don't like to hear this, but a willingness to inflict injury, serious injury, on a human being. Uh, a lot of people might say when they're starting off in training, oh, well, that's no problem. I wouldn't be studying this if I didn't have that. Well, that's not necessarily true because when it comes down to hurting somebody, a lot of people who technically have the ability might not psychologically be willing to use it. For example, studies were done, I forgot the name of the person who did it, but it was done during, uh, I believe, World War I and possibly World War II, indicating that most soldiers who entered combat would not fire their rifles. They wouldn't shoot people. Now, they were all marksmen. They had graduated basic training, so they were able to use their weapons. The big question was, why didn't they do it? 
And the answer is a mental block, and that's dangerous. You see, training and techniques will give you the ability, but mental conditioning will ensure that you use it. It's not a question of can you stop an attacker, it's will you. And mental conditioning has to cover aggressiveness, the ability to shift to an aggressive mindset, the ability to be vicious when you normally, as a civilized person, are not vicious and don't want to be vicious. You have to be prepared to be attacked and injured during the course of defending yourself. You can't, you can't stop and call a physician or an ambulance on your cell phone if somebody is, is injuring you. You have to keep on fighting. And... Um, all of this is mental. The alertness and situational awareness that you need to either avoid trouble or see it coming in time to deal with it is a mental thing. Ruthlessness is mental. You have to cultivate the right attitude of ruthlessness when you train so that it sticks with you and your normal tendency to be considerate or at least non-injurious to someone is instilled in you. And you've got to overcome that. That was put, pounded into you at birth, probably, if you were raised in any kind of a decent environment. You were taught, no, be fair. Don't be ruthless with people. Well, in self-defense, you're ruthless. Uh, you have to be conditioned to use the element of surprise properly. And again, that is all mental. So we, in, we incorporate this into our program, and I... I hope that as many teachers out there who are conscientious about teaching self-defense incorporate it into theirs. It's a very important thing. It's a mistake to think that just learning techniques will teach you the ability and the skills you need to defend yourself. That's not true. You can learn a lot of techniques and get nowhere. My late friend John McSweeney was fond of discussing an incident that happened in Chicago where a woman who was a black belt champion in karate she won matches left and right and she was attacked she was beaten and she was raped in a subway station and she said when she was interviewed later i just froze i didn't know what to do well obviously she did know what to do but she did freeze and not freezing is a mental not a physical challenge and we teach how you will not, how you can condition yourself so you will not freeze and you'll do what is necessary. You know, interestingly enough, the one profession that anyone who is sane recognizes is involved in saving lives and relieving suffering is medicine, the practice of medicine. And I've found over the years that doctors make some of the best students of self-defense in the world, yet they are not mean or aggressive they they're concerned with helping people that's what they do for a living but they understand what is at stake and that's what's critical the understanding and anybody who's afraid that if they do develop the right mindset they're going to become vicious or aggressive that's just not true uh the opposite is more likely that understanding what you're capable of you're just not going to want to deal with violence at all Mental conditioning is critical, and you know it's critical in weight training too. I mean, the mental the mental challenge is greater than the physical once you get seriously into weight training. Right. More mental required than there is physical. I mean, your body's built up now; you just got to keep training, and that's a mental thing. So, to answer the question briefly, it is critical. It must be taught, and we teach it by addressing those things I mentioned and others. 
I became interested in self-defense when I was very young. A cousin of mine, an older cousin, taught me basic boxing. And later on, I, I attended what I think was one of the first commercial judo schools in America, Judo Incorporated, in New York City. And I, then I got involved in jiu-jitsu and, and karate, the usual martial arts of Asia as they became popular and, and schools began to pop up like acne all over New York City. I respect and appreciate all of the martial arts, and I don't make any claim that the system I founded is better than anything else. It's just different. The reason why I developed American Combato is because I couldn't find exactly what I wanted anywhere else. And what I wanted was a straightforward close combat system and self-defense. I didn't want anything that was mystical or fancy or that claimed to teach secrets or that had a mystique about it. I wasn't interested in that. I simply wanted practical, realistic training. The live teachers that I found who gave it were primarily Charlie Nelson, who was a wonderful man. I was with him for a few years. Wonderful teacher, former U.S. Marine Corps combat judo instructor, and he was a veteran of Guadalcanal. Charlie passed away uh, some years back, and uh, he, he was a good teacher. But I really, uh, the Sigurd Sports Academy taught me some good stuff. It was Robert H. Sigward's system. He he taught some practical stuff. But primarily it wasn't until I discovered get tough and kill or get killed that I was in pig heaven because those books covered the spirit of what I wanted and a lot of techniques that I found to be valuable. But as I studied the martial arts, continuing to study... I found other good techniques in classical traditional arts that were very effective. They just weren't being taught in the right way or with the right mindset. And so I spent a few years compiling what was good, what didn't work, what did work, and so on. And I came up with a curriculum that I established in 1975, trademarked the system, and um, here it is. I again, have no argument or quarrel with other schools or with other styles. It's just that I had to bring this one about because I didn't find what I wanted. I incorporate modern weapons, firearms, knives, walking stick, tomahawk, which is used in military combat. And um, these are all a part of one system. We, we go into all of that. And um, it meets the it fills the bill. I've trained uh, federal agents, local police, state police, people in the military, people in our army's special forces, the Navy SEALs, not as part of the service, but individuals who were there, and they're doing well with it. It works. The system works. As far as how it differs from classical traditional martial arts, it is modern. It does not teach things that have been discredited by science and by uh, experience for use in real-world combat. We don't use fancy stances and postures and positions. We don't emphasize blocking, which is almost impossible to do against anybody who's throwing fast blows at you. We don't emphasize sport. We don't emphasize tradition. 
And as far as its different with its difference with, for example, mixed martial arts or the UFC, again, it's not a sport. Those activities are sports. They are rough sports, but they're sports. And if anybody cares to do so, they can check and find out that both the UFC and mixed martial arts have a very lengthy list of rules. And uh, everything they forbid, I encourage beginners to do without hesitation right away. Um, I, uh, I emphasize offense as the key, preemptive striking, taking the battle into the enemy camp and defeating him. And uh, it's, it's a combat system. It is no frills. There's no mysticism, no suggestion of secrets or mysteries, and no desire to win matches. We're concerned with saving our lives on the street or, in the case of military people, in real battle. Uh, we're concerned with being able to defend against real weapons, multiple attackers, very dangerous individuals who attack from behind, attacks that may come when you're in your vehicle, when you're traveling, when you're on the street, when you're with your family, and so on. We're concerned with winning at whatever price or cost is necessary to save innocent life. Well, Brad, we have to wrap things up. It's been a real honor for me to have you on the show. You're one of my earliest inspirations, and I want to personally thank you for that. Your great books and articles from way back into the 1960s really motivated me, and they put me on the right path in training. Please check out Brad's great home study DVD self-defense course and his great monthly newsletter, Sword and Pen, at his website, AmericanCombato.com. That's AmericanCombato.com. C-O-M-B-A-T-O dot com and Seattle Combatives dot com. And Brad, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you very much, Bob, for having me on the show. I, I know you do a fantastic job training people, and your forums are always very, very helpful and interesting. I regard it as a pleasure and a privilege to be a part of this. Thank you again, and uh, be well. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>